This is the People's Scrum, my love. Audio edition. Recorded during the coronavirus lockdown when I was sitting in our back garden over a series of sunrises. Some grown-ups might like to listen to it. With great power. August 2006. I had the privilege recently of working with an organisation in the UK whose managers take Scrum seriously and understand that it is more than a quick fix. The director and VP level management realised that it would take time for Scrum to show benefit and more importantly they understood the need to trust their development teams. I spent five days with the company which committed 25 developers and testers to working full time with me during those five days. That's a big investment. And I recall with dismay those companies where a manager has told me, we can't afford the time to send our employees on a two-day learning course. We have work to do. Bringing to mind the lumberjack who complains his saw is blunt but then says he's too busy cutting down the tree to sharpen it. But this situation was different. This company's teams had been doing scrum for about two to three months. The one scrum master they had in place had taken a two-day introductory workshop that I had facilitated earlier in the year. The teams had seen some success with the transition, but had also started to run aground and recognised the need for additional support in the form of on-site coaching. A good thing to recognise. I wonder how many companies fail to make that connection and continue to struggle. Scrum is not easy. It surfaces problems and makes things look ugly. Some companies will do their best to hide the unsightly things and plod on with what they would call hybrid scrum, which doesn't address or even acknowledge the root causes. Other companies will abandon scrum altogether and reach the conclusion that agile doesn't work for us. Happily, this UK company decided to go to the next level and work through the difficulties. The first two days were focused on fostering a shared understanding of the philosophy and framework of Scrum. There was a lot of scepticism among the workers. Remember, this came as a management initiative, not a grassroots one. Most of the scepticism was of the healthy kind, willing to learn, but not all of it. Still, the general mood of the group was positive. My co-facilitator Michael James and I were able to make many inroads in creating a shared understanding of the nuts and bolts of Scrum and the use of simple tools such as the physical workflow board, which I more and more see as a core element of a highly functioning Scrum team. When used correctly, the workflow board will keep a team focused and grounded. Over the latter three days, the work was focused on improving the quality of the product backlog, identifying organisational impediments and most interestingly, exploring the limits of self-organisation. The outcome was that the teams completely restructured themselves and removed a control group who were responsible for decision-making, prioritisation, estimation and work assignment. All duties of this control group would now be distributed between teams and product owners Making these decisions created a feeling of empowerment and freedom among the team members, up to the point where I grew slightly concerned. I sensed a danger that it could move towards a state of anarchy. Could this be too much freedom, too much power? How would it be used? 
I recall the advice Spider-Man received from his uncle. With great power comes great responsibility. The teams were empowered. What now was their responsibility? This led to a discussion on responsibility and commitment. The whole group worked on creating a team charter that expressed their commitment to the organisation. This was done in small teams through three iterations, sharing the results with the whole group at the end of each iteration, reconceiving and then fine-tuning during the subsequent iteration. In this way, we followed a sort of scaled scrum model, living the principles. At the end of the third iteration, the product was complete. It was not perfect, but it was a working agreement that everyone present, including the skeptics, felt able to commit to for the next 30 days, when it would be up for review. The team charter would be printed large and displayed around the building for all to see. This is a copy of the finished work, and I've asked Debbie Buckle, who was the VP of development at this organisation at the time, to read this for me. Team Charter Framework We commit to following Agile principles to the best of our ability using the whole Scrum framework. Quality We commit to building quality into our products at every stage of their development and to continuously review and improve our techniques for achieving this. People, we are professionals and have a responsibility to respect each other, act honestly, communicate openly and assist and seek assistance where appropriate. Process, we commit to working with the organisation to define a minimal process to guide our activities over the duration of each sprint, empowering teams to get the job done. Growth. As individuals, we commit to enhancing and furthering our knowledge and to share that knowledge as appropriate with others at the company. I was, and still am, deeply impressed by this piece of work and would love to see more organisations create such a document. To me, it showed a seriousness and dedication rare among grassroots workers in a top-down implementation of Scrum. Regardless of whether the management team support this effort, the work itself allowed the team members to express their preferred way of working and recognise that they each have a say in their own destiny. Organisational transformation is difficult, but it has to start somewhere. And I'm a true believer that the grassroots level of an organisation is the best place to begin.